Josh will be here. There he is. Lost sight of you. I thought you were there. <laughs> Moving around. Turn with me to our New Testament lesson, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now turn to our Old Testament lesson, Psalm 109. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. 
Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his blood, his body like water, and like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I have gone like a shadow at I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one. To save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, we pray for your presence, for your wisdom, for you to illuminate these words to us, these difficult words that sound so harsh in our ears. Lord, may we be built up by the wisdom of your word that you have spoken to us through your servant, David. May we be people who are continually shaped by your word, following Christ's example. But let us not abuse it. That your name would be lifted up and honored and gloried. That you may be the avenger. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of the most hated passages in all of scripture. Um, many people deny that it has any use. That we should ever even read it or use it or preach it or learn from it even, that this is belongs to a, an old 
just an old covenant thing, and that stuff is gone forever and has no use for us new covenant people. I would like to show that this psalm is consistent with what the Bible teaches, while also showing that (laughs) we cannot be the type of person who would just curse our enemies and those who are mean to us. As we've read in Romans 12, this, this scripture calls us to bless our enemies. And so what is going on here? We've been going through the Psalms and we've looked at a psalm of wisdom, a psalm of confidence, a psalm of lament, a messianic psalm. And here is another psalm of lament, but it's a particular kind of lament. He's crying out to the Lord for help. But he's calling out specifically for justice. He's calling out for the Lord to enact justice on someone who is doing wicked and terrible things. This is called an imprecatory psalm. He's calling for an imprecation for God to act against somebody who is doing wicked things. Now, Imprecation is kind of a fancy word for curse. But I don't want that to be confusing to you because this is a specific use of that language. It's not something magical. It's not that David is you thinking like using an incantation or something or that, or that by the power of his words he can bring about evil on his enemy. This isn't like that at all. No, this is calling for something bad to happen but not out of David's own power, but according to God's promise that he would bring justice. God has promised for his people that he is a God of justice, that he hates the wicked, the things that the wicked do, that he would vindicate them. And so he is calling out for God to be true to his word in that respect. There are two opposite errors in coming to this psalm in, in our personal study of it and our use of it. One is to reject the psalm entirely as not being the word of God at all, saying that it's contradictory to the, contradictory to the rest of the Bible. It's easy to think that way, as we have just read Romans 12. Bless them and do not curse them, it says. To say that this is something, or to relegate it to the Old Testament, that this is just something that's in the Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament. But these are incomplete and kind of a shallow way of looking at this. Because we see in the Old Testament, that is where the New Testament gets all of the language it uses of blessed and do not curse, of being good and loving your enemy. All of this language comes from the Old Testament. And so we need to think deeply about what is, what is going on here. How, what, what is happening? This is also not contradictory to the New Testament because there are imprecations in the New Testament. There are times when, when curses are proclaimed against people who are acting incredibly unjustly. One example is in Revelation chapter 6, when those who are taken up into heaven because they've been martyred and killed are 
crying out. And these are people who are now apart from the body of sin. What they are calling for in justice is not sinful for them to ask. And here we read verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're calling out for justice. They're calling out for the Lord to take vengeance on what has happened to them. And yet it's not sinful to ask for this justice. The second error that we can make is that we can embrace the language of this psalm and use it for our own personal attacks and revenge and vendettas. This person's harmed me in some way. This person's offended me in some way. God, strike them down. This isn't a tool for your road rage. Calvin, in referencing this psalm, spoke of how detestable it was to use the scripture in that way. He spoke about how there he knew of a woman in France who actually hired a bunch of friars to pray this psalm about her only son because she hated him so much. What a wicked and terrible example. What an awful thing to do, to use God's holy word and to try to hire people to curse with it. That's not the purpose that it serves. We do not try to enact evil on others by the power of our own word because we're hurt or because we want, to, we want something bad for them and good for ourselves. But rather, in prayer to the Lord, we give our cares over to him. There is gross injustice being done in the world in many of our lives. What are we called to do? Are we called to react? Are we called to hit back? Are we called to curse them back? Are we called to lie back? No, we're called to give our cares to the Lord. The one who says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. These curses are not often how we think of curses, but they are calls to God to fulfill his promises. And that is to enact a proportional justice against the wicked with the implicit condition that the offender does not repent. They are prayers to God to fulfill his promises for justice, a proportional justice, on the condition that the offender does not repent. This frees us to give our cares to him. Because this is not, that's not how we want to act. That's not how we naturally behave when we are sinned against. When there is murderous attempt against our life, when people lie about us and slander us, when people mistreat us and abuse us, 
in this broken and wicked world, what we want to do is give it right back. You call about, you call against me, I want to call back against you. You lie about me, well, well I'll spread things about you. No. Because God is the Lord of justice. Instead of responding that way, he has given us, in fact, a gift in these sort of psalms. And that, as we see, really, the entire spectrum of human emotion here, in our anguish and being sinned against, we may use this as a pattern to go to the Lord in prayer, to give these things to him, so that we would then be empowered to live a gospel life that shows love back to those people who are showering us with hatred. Because we know we have a God of justice. This applies to the precatory psalms in general, and it's an important thing to remember and to note because there's about 30 different psalms out of 150 that contain imprecations, right? If you're faithful in reading and using the psalms, you're going to come across them. How do you deal with them? How do you use them? Not as a magical incantation against your personal enemies, but there is a proper use. We'll walk through this particular psalm and highlight some of those. And the as we look at it, it's quite a long psalm, so we won't go through every single verse in detail as we have been in the past. We've been doing some shorter psalms, but this one's 31 verses. So in verses 1 through 5, we see David uh, leveling charges against a person or a group who is sinning against him, who is lying against him, and doing these wicked things. In verses 6 through 15, we actually see the specific imprecations, the things that he's asking God, call these things down upon him. In 16 to 20, this is sort of continued in, in showing that it is a proportional justice. In 21 to 31, he pleads for the Lord to enact justice due to his, on account of his steadfast love. But looking at verses 1 through 5, he calls, Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with their words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. The situation is someone who has, he, is, he's, he has a friend, someone who is close to him that he is showing love to, who he is showing kindness to, but what he gets back is deceitful lies, slandering, betrayal, the hatred circles around them. And what is the response of the speaker? His response, after giving love and receiving back hate and lies and destruction, he says, but I give myself to prayer. See, that is his response. 
That is a difficult way to respond. And that's what the New Testament calls us to respond. When people do evil against you, if people are persecuting you, if people are slandering you, if if someone strikes you on one cheek, what do you do? You turn to him the other. Rather, you go to the Lord in prayer. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so he says, but I, in response to that hatred, in response to that evil, give myself to prayer. He puts it into the hands of God for one result or the other. That is to say, God to enact judgment on that person now or in light of the cross of Christ, lead that person to repentance and put that judgment on Christ. David does not take it into his own hands. He doesn't say, well, you lied about me and ruined my reputation. Well, I'm going to lie about you, and I'm going to ruin your reputation. He doesn't curse him. He doesn't fight him. He doesn't enact any of these coming imprecations himself. They lie about me, but I do not lie in return. They give evil to me, but I do not give evil in return. They hate and attack me, but I do not lash out in return. But rather, I give myself to prayer. The following verses, verses 6 through 15, are very difficult to read. They're very harsh in our ears. It's difficult to read something that says, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. How does this work with Romans 12 that says, bless and do not curse, which we have just read, the words of Paul. But let's look again to the New Testament and what Paul does and what Paul shows us. Paul himself levied curses and imprecations, but not against his personal enemies or persecutors. Remember, he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. He does not make a personal issue of these things. Paul was stoned nearly to death, people taking huge rocks and throwing them as hard as he can at his head, at anywhere they they could hit him with, until they thought he was dead. And when they walked away thinking him dead, Paul got up and sneaked away. He didn't curse them. He didn't try to do the same back to them. Paul was thrown in jail repeatedly. He didn't curse his jailer. He didn't curse the people around him that did that to him. Paul was slandered and belittled. Paul didn't curse the people who slandered and belittled him. But you know who he did curse? Anyone who would preach a gospel contrary to the one that we have given you, Galatians chapter 1, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed by God. A proportional judgment. If somebody is leading people away from the Lord and into hell, no, 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 Lord, let justice be against them. May they be brought to hell rather than the people that they are leading. Stop their tongues and their mouths. Let the justice come upon them rather than those that they are leading away. 
So Paul shows us a better way. In praying for justice, we are not wielding power ourselves, but we're putting it in the hands of the Lord. God has promised to be a God of justice, of just retribution. Even from the time that he called Abraham, he says, those who curse you, I will curse. Not that Abraham would do it, but that the Lord would do it. And we, if you are in Christ, you are children of Abraham. We read again in Galatians. Those who inherit the promises. In regard to those who harm you, and do wicked things against you, you may respond in love because you have the promise of God that he will enact justice on your behalf. And it is not wrong for you to ask for it. Though we will get into a little later on that we cannot be hard-hearted in our requests for it. We should also note that all imprecatory psalms ask for a proportional justice, right? They're asking not for just any terrible thing that you can think of, anything, any wicked thing that comes to mind, I'm so mad that this and this and this just randomly come to mind. No, we're asking for justice in the sight of injustice and a proportional justice based on what is being suffered. And looking at these imprecations, it sounds... Let's actually just read them again. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. He's praying this because this was the man at his right hand. This was the person who was supposed to have his back. This was the person who was supposed to speak kindly about him. And yet... He lied and slandered him to make him look guilty. May his days be few. May another take his office. This particular verse is actually quoted in the New Testament by Peter. And we'll get into that actually a little bit later, but he shows its fulfillment in the New Testament. He says, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from afar, from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May, the name, may his name be blotted out in the second generation. He's crying out against crimes that this person has done that has resulted in these things for other people. He makes that clear in the, 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 few, the coming verse, verses. But imprecatory psalms call out to God and say, our names are being slandered. Our belongings are being plundered. Our livelihoods are being destroyed. Our children are being murdered before our eyes. Why should we suffer this anguish 
while our perpetrators do not. Those who enact these evil things upon our lives rather benefit from it. They get to spend lavishly with the things they have stolen from us. They get to enjoy their family life when ours have been destroyed. Lord, what would justice look like when this has been done to me? The evil that a man does against another man does not stop between the two of them. If I am killed today, that's a sin against me. But how much worse is it is sin against my wife and my child who depend on me, who love me? We can see the tendrils of sin spreading out. One act of terrible sin goes a thousand directions and yields a thousand results and multiplies itself. And these words show how they have affected his life or the lives around him. And says, these are the things that are being suffered on account of him. Why doesn't he have to suffer them? Why don't, why don't those things go out in his family instead of mine, instead of ours, instead of the ones that have been destroyed? It's not just petty anger, but crying out against a reprehensible injustice. He's also calling on God to fulfill his own word. In Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23, we read the words of the Lord through Moses. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. David is calling on him, saying, Aren't you a God of justice? This is a man who does these things. Why is he free? Why are we suffering in this way in his families? Just enjoying the bounties of our labor, no results. Sixteen through twenty show much more clearly how this is a proportional justice. It says, For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. It's showing how deep the sins have gone, how terrible they were, and that these things, these curses that he's asking for, this justice he is requesting is proportional to the damage and pain and suffering and wreckage that this person has caused. And so how do we learn from this psalm how to pray appropriately. I first want to go back to that verse that says, "Let his off may another take his office. 
We said last week that Peter quoted Psalm 110, speaking about Christ. And Peter said, in the Spirit, David said these things, knowing about God's promise for a future Messiah, right? It's not just David talking and the words are getting twisted in the future. No, David was in the Spirit. These words are inspired by God, and it points forward to the coming King, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, he also quotes Psalm 109, and I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 15 and following. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. For it was, uh, down in verse 20, he continues, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Peter looks at these words and he sees their prophetic voice of the Spirit through David, that this is fulfilled in Judas, and how Judas was close to Christ, and he betrayed him. Judas was the wicked man, and these specific curses fall on him. He was beloved by Christ, and yet slandered and betrayed him. He encircled Christ with words of hate, and attacked him without cause. In return for Christ's love, Jesus accused him. He rewarded evil for good, hatred for love. And I hope you can tell I'm not just summarizing the New Testament account. This is nearly a direct quote of verses 1 through 5. This has fulfilled what Judas has done, and these curses fall on him. These are proportional to the things that he has wreaked out in his life. And you can even see it in times when he was, how he dealt with money. You can kind of see how this plays out, how, how this wicked man is, it, he has wealth that, can, that, can, that he benefits from and that his family benefits from, but he takes it from the needy. And, and, and how he thinks about money in terms of when the woman anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume, he says, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. We could sell that and... And give it to the poor. I mean, maybe that's what he would want to do. But you can tell he's not a generous spirit. He's not a worshipful spirit. And he's not a loyal spirit. We see that the curses are proportionate to the evil done. But how do we use that in our lives? How do we use that in our prayer? means that we don't just pray these exact words and mean these exact words for any particular injustice. But we pray how this psalm teaches us to pray. In the face of terrible, gross injustice, thinking about what the Taliban and ISIS are doing, thinking about uh, the oppression in North Korea, thinking about injustices done here in our own country, how can we pray? We pray proportionally. 
But another thing that we see here is in his calling out to the Lord, he says, May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. That's present tense. And this is more explicit in other imprecatory psalms that call for justice, explicitly so that others may see your justice and know and repent. Know that you are a God of justice and repent. Or that maybe that specific person may repent. But what we see here is that there is room for repentance. It is conditional that these things would happen on the condition of a lack of repentance. And I know I'm going a little bit long, but we're going to look at another passage because it's a complicated topic at Acts chapter 8. Another imprecation actually coming from the mouth of Peter against Simon the magician. Looking at verse... 19, Simon the magician says, Give me this power also, after the apostles do these amazing miracles before his sight, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter says to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He curses him on the spot. May your silver perish with you. It's calling for him to perish and for his money to go as well. But he follows up. He doesn't leave it there. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He leveled against him harsh word, a word of judgment and justice over his head. But it was conditional that his heart would remain hardened and selfish and unrepentant. And he opened that door saying, your heart is softened and you turn from this and you repent. If it's all at all possible, may the grace of God be upon you that you find forgiveness. That needs to be our attitude when we pray. It is not wrong to pray for justice. But we need to see things in light of Christ and what he has done. Because all of us, if we received justice, could not stand before the Lord. And so we may plead to the Lord for justice. We want justice. Look what is going on in the world today. But leaving that open, if there is no repentance, if there is no change, if you will not change their heart, Lord, don't let this wickedness come upon the innocent, but turn it back on those who perpetrate. In the closing verses, he roots this in Christ, in the Lord's steadfast love. He repeats that phrase 
his steadfast love, his steadfast love. And that was what Jonah did not want for the people of Nineveh. He wanted those people to suffer justice for the fire of God to fall down on them. I'm not going to give them a good message because they deserve justice. And they did. They were truly terrible, wicked people. But God has a steadfast love and mercy that is greater. And he preserved that generation of Ninevites. He called them to repentance. Their hearts were changed because of his steadfast love. And so we should know the depth of love that we have in Christ. The depth of love that is possible, the amount of repentance that may occur. And yet still be able to call out to God and say, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a terrible and ominous prayer that would be for anyone who is not in Christ. We can still pray to him, the just justifier who is on the throne. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. How terrifying a prayer for those who are not covered in his blood. Yet they are cries for justice in a wicked world. Let's go to him with our prayers. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would be planted deep in us, that we would be conformed into the image of of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us to love our enemies, to bless them and not curse. Lord, not to, to, to slap back or to lie back or show evil back, but to bring our cares to you. Lord, let us not be hard-hearted people or slothful in our prayer, but to desire true justice. To not be complacent with the wickedness that is in the world, but to call out to you, the, the true, the one who vengeance belongs to. It's not us, but you, Lord, because you are holy and just. Let us not prevent your justice or your mercy by taking it into our own hands, but to be examples of love. And now, Lord, we lift up the evils in our world. Lord, that you would not turn a blind eye to those who are being persecuted, those who are being killed day by day, who bear your name across the globe. We pray for those people created in your image who have marred themselves with sin so deeply that they would join the Taliban or ISIS or another such terrible group. Lord, we pray that you would have compassion upon them, that you would change their hearts, that you would take those hearts of stone and turn them to hearts of flesh by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit. 
that you would be the life-giving God to them who take lives. But Lord, if they do not repent, if they do not change, Lord, we pray for your justice, that they would not continue the terrible acts that they perform, that they would not be able to kill your holy ones, your servants, your missionaries, that they would not be able to kill the men and take the wives and abuse them and carry them into their household with threats of murdering the rest of their family. Lord, rather but that you would take such wickedness and injustice and turn it back on them, that they would not be able to continue. And Lord, above all, above what is what can be changed in this life, we pray for your return. That all injustices would stop. That we may rejoice at the sight of you. to enjoy true peace and righteousness living with our God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.